amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. I'm 
Angela, take it away. All right. Well, welcome to Our Own Voices. I'm Angela Thomas, and I'm going to bring in Miss China Hudson. Oh, how is everyone? Everyone is fabulous. Welcome to the platform. We're so glad to have you back home and, and back on the platform. Yes, thank you so much for having me again. Um, I look forward to our conversation. All right, well, let's get to it. Without any further ado, let's start at the beginning. And, you know, well, let's kind of rehash last week. Start at the beginning. How did how did you how, how did you end up going to Africa? Well, um, the awesome West Side community um, here in Las Vegas. Um, decided to love on me on 10. That's what I like to call it, which is love on 10. Um, And they actually put together the funds to get me over to the continent um, because they felt that, you know, with all the things that I do in the community and I had never once stepped foot on the continent, imagine what I can do once I return. So they got together, yes, and they they made it possible. And I'm just Eternally grateful to each and every person that, um, you know, people that planted the seeds, the people that saw it to come to, uh, manifest to fruition, the people who called, text, gave, you know, people were giving what they had. One lady came here and gave me $5. Another sister took the bus to give $10. Some people gave $100. So it was what you were able to give. And with all of that love, I was able to get on a plane and stay for a, thir- a, a little bit over 30 days. Wow. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. You stepped mm-hmm. foot off the plane. What had happened then? Oh, my God. Well, actually, I it, only started imagine. On, it started on the plane when I was able to see a visual of the land, the continent itself. I was just like, oh, my God, there she is, there she is. Yeah. And so I started started crying from the window seat. So um, it actually started on the plane. And once you get off the plane, it's really, really rush, 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 rush. Their airports sure. are not like ours, um, but it wasn't until maybe about the next day when I was actually on the coast of the Atlantic and I was had my feet in the sand and my feet in the water where I was able to say, wow, this is where my ancestors came from. So I was I was very grateful just to be in that space at that time. Wow. Let me take you back to the airport experience because uh, so often we don't, a lot of us don't travel outside the borders. What was your experience that was, unlike what it is to travel domestically? Well, it was very interesting because once you um, you're, you get off the plane, you come down the stairs, you take a shuttle bus to the terminal where customs is, and coming through customs you're getting, you know, with all the security checks, you're getting your picture taken, and you're going through customs. What really made me feel awesome was they have, when you go in, I went to Ghana, when you enter the country of Ghana, um, there's uh, a customs for, you know, returning the Ghanaians and for visitors, and the guy was trying to usher me into the line as if I was returning. I was like, no, brother, I'm not. I'm returning, but not the way you think. So um, <laughs> on on site, he just assumed and knew that I was returning home. So it was great. And when I said, no, I'm, I'm a visitor, he was like, oh, okay, well, this is your line over here. So that wow. was really, really, yeah, really cute. Where was the first? Stop on your uh, when when you got settled in. Where did you settle in at? And like, what was your first meal? What was your your first experience? Okay. 
Well, I got, I flew into the city of Accra, which is a big, one of the uh, big cities there in Ghana, which is actually the capital. Mm-hmm. And we went to Accra, and I stayed at a really nice uh, hotel. Um, it was, when I went to the continent, I had absolutely no expectations. Um, I was totally prepared to sleep on the floor, on dirt, on whatever. But when, sure. I, got to the, when I got to the facility, it was quite nice. Um, so I was, I was like, hey, they had air conditioning, and the sister made the best fried rice I had ever had in my life. Oh. Um, so I had fried rice and fish was my first meal, and actually I kind of stuck with fish most of the trip The there. entire so trip? Mm-hmm. Fish and chicken. Um, I did have some traditional meals. I did have um, banku, and I had fufu, and all these other traditional meals, and a, a very good stew. Um, sure. So, um, some things I stay away from meat here. Um, so I, I'm really not a big meat eater, but I did try a few of their dishes. Wonderful. You also took an abundance of things to uh, help fulfill needs that that yeah. um, our brothers and sisters in Ghana had. What was it like for you to? come home for the first time, be so warmly received, and have so many things that were needed and appreciated. What was it? What, talk, walk us through your first experience of being able to distribute the the uh, care packages. Well, it was really good because Las Vegas is just amazing. I can't say that enough. I, I think I left here with maybe about 60, 70 pounds worth of school supplies. Um, I had paper, construction paper, crayons, markers, paint. Um, I have backpacks. I had the um, the little portable, little, there's these little really small backpacks where a lot can fit into one. So I had maybe about 50 of those backpacks. I had wow. pencils. I had, I had pens. Um, it was just an abundance of things. Some people gave me some clothes. I had um, Eyeglasses from the dollar store, the reading glasses. I took about mm-hmm. 100, mm-hmm. 100 pair of those. So I had, wow. Had been, the I had gift been of gay. sight. I'm blind mm-hmm. as a bat without my glasses. So, yes. Wow. Yes. I had been gay. I had antacids. I had um, all this type. I just went to the dollar store and really just kind of cleaned up and just packed. So I had a variety of different things for different people. And mm-hmm. um, I took I took those backpacks and was able to make backpacks for the children. I put a little bit of everything in there, crayons and paper and, you know, coloring books and sure. glue and, you know, um, post-it notes. Just um, I filled the little bags up. And uh, my first stop was actually in the mountains in the Volta region. Um, I learned by speaking with one of my driver. I had a driver while I was there. He nice. said it is best. He said, it is best to give to the villages that are far out because they do not have accessibility. Uh-huh. So I said, oh, okay. So the further I went out, the more I gave because um, those people in those villages are not able to get to the town as frequently as possible. So that's how I chose to give. The further I went out, the more they got. Wonderful, wonderful. How were you received? Um, it depends on where I was at. Um, okay. A lot of time, a lot of times, um, our brothers and sisters there are standoffish because a lot of people come over there to take. So it was very refreshing for them to interact with somebody 
who just wanted to gain knowledge and who wanted to give. So you just have to uh, be patient with them as you first enter a place because, again, people have come over there. They have taken pictures of our brothers and sisters, come back to America, went back to Europe, saying they're collecting money for a certain village, and the people never see the money in those villages. So I really? Oh, yes. Um, I went to a particular village, and you could not take pictures of them. And if you wanted to take pictures, you had to pay because someone had came taking pictures of their entire village, um, capitalized, offered the poverty level there, went back, collected money, and the people never saw any of the money. So they are very, very, very cautious and careful and aware of people coming over there with ill intentions. So once they really feel you out, see what type of person you are, you are mm-hmm. well-received, you are loved, and they just really open their arms and hearts to you. Wow. How heartwarming and heartbreaking all at the same time. Yes, 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 yes. What's been your biggest takeaway now that you're back home and you're, you're, you're no longer jet lag and you're back into your routine? What's the biggest takeaway for you? Um, I have a couple. It's kind of hard to say because I'm actually still processing the trip. Sure, um, sure. Uh, I realize that we have an abundance of things here in America. Um, there is not excess of things. Um, and when I say abundance, for us just to have to go under our bathroom sink and say which soap I want to use, that's an abundance of things. Um, I've also learned that globally, we as people of the African diaspora um, must unite because we are not only brilliant, smart, creative people, but we need to unite to the level where we can establish our economic power um, sure. to create um it was amazing to be in the country of Ghana and everybody looked like us. Everyone looked like us. What did and that feel like? What did that feel like? Because we're so uh, dominated diverse. by integration yes. and, and, and uh, inclusiveness. What was it yes. like to be in a space where, where everybody every looked like you? Everybody looked like It was just like, oh, my goodness, I'm home. And then I would be in places and I would say, oh, my God, she looks just like Aunt such and such. So you can really see that we... <laughs> you started uh, we, seeing family. I started seeing family and faces. And you, James Baldwin's brother is in Ghana. I was like, you know you got a brother. His name was James Baldwin. You need to Google him and see your twin. So wow. It, just, it was simply amazing to be there where everyone looked like you. Um, you know, they they have black people on their money. They You know, their president is black, has always been black. So, you know, it's just... It's to look and just see the possibilities of our, you know, having a country where everyone looks like you. So now you're ramping real- up on something that is really interesting. A president, a place where everything's black. It's always been black. We just, we're we're coming, we're on the tail end of having our first black presidency. And what is, what are some of the perceptions of uh, of us and and uh, newsworthy events? And from from our country, how is that? Did you have an experience of how things are translated there? Oh, yes. Yes, things are just like they do us with Africa. You know, they only show us starving children, AIDS, and war, okay? They never mm-hmm. show us the be- They never show us the waterfall. How beautiful the, the capital of Ghana is. Yes. And yes, how metropolitan yes. everything is. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. They're very into their politics. 
um, the beaches, the waterfalls, the rainforest. They rarely show that, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they want, uh, and I believe that um, the media is doing that for a fact to keep us away from our continent, our brothers and sisters. Um, they really want to um, capitalize and highlight Ebola and all those things that are wrong with Africa but really do not show what is all right with Africa, the continent as a whole. Um, so on the verse side, all they see of us is, um, lace fronts and weaves and gangster rap and all these really? other things. Because when I would walk into places, they would change the music thinking they were pleasing me. I, I said, I don't listen to Lil Wayne in America. <laughs> so I don't want to listen to Lil Wayne. I don't want to be on the continent listening to that. Listen. <laughs> exactly. And with, and with my natural hair, with my locks, they mm-hmm. automatically assumed that I was from Jamaica or the Bahamas or from Haiti. And when I told them no, they said, oh, you must be from the U.K. And I said, no, I'm from the United States. And for them to see an uh, African sister from the America with natural hair, they were like, what? I was like, yes, we are very It's a whole movement. It's a lot said, of us now. I said, we're very diverse. I said, yes, we have queens who choose to, you know, perm and straighten their hair and wear lace fronts, which is cool. That's their prerogative. I said, but we also have sisters who are locked, who are rocking the bald heads, who have afros, who have bantu knots. And they were like in amazement at that. And a couple of sisters, when I go back, I said, when you come back, do you promise to do my hair like yours? I say, I promise. So um, they, it was Good for them to see a variety of what we look like because what they're showing on the TV is really not what America is. You know, they have a love affair with America, um, land of the free, home of the brave. You know, they really, sure. the, the American dream is really being sold over there on the continent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our brothers and sisters have brought into it hook, line, and sinker. Um, but I will tell them, they're like, well, you know, I know this. No poverty like poverty in America. I said, there's plenty of poverty in America. There's plenty of homeless people. Of course, it's not at the degree it is on the continent of Africa. I said, but there is poverty everywhere. There is corruption everywhere. I said, but um, do not get it twisted. America is not perfect. We are far from perfect. Um, they love Barack Obama. Nice. They're like, well, I mean, they, they have, have a, a, a kinship yes. to him as we do. Yes, you know, yes. just like I'm, we're from Chicago, you and I. We're like yes. that's our Chicago brother. We connect with Obama on many levels, but they have a yes. connection too with his African father. Exactly, and you know, they say America, Obama. I'm like, yes, Obama. So they, you know, they our brothers and sisters over there are very aware. One gentleman asked me, uh, why didn't we do anything when they choked out Eric Gardner? That was very powerful. Wow. Um, he, he, um, he was an IT. He worked in mm-hmm. IT, so he had vast access to the internet and news. He was he was very well versed. Um, mm-hmm. And he asked, he says, that would not have happened here if the police was choking out that man. We would have stopped it. We would not have just videotaped it. We would have stopped it. So that was very very powerful on how he said mm-hmm, how he said that. And then that was a great opportunity for me to break down white supremacy and how that works in America and how it's very different for us over here From in America. From apartheid, uh-huh. Yes, and they were like, oh, wow. So, you know, I was able to very much educate them on us and how we live here because just like we don't know a lot about our brothers and sisters there, they don't know a lot about us. All right, China Hudson, teacher. 
for sure. She, you're a teacher in our community, um, dealing with our young people every day. Um, what has been the, the the information that you've brought back to your uh, dance community here? What I know you went there to learn some of the rite of passage ceremonies and 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 uh, uh, further uh, enrich your rite of passage program. Talk to us a little bit about that, China. Okay, as far as the dance goes, I was a little disappointed because I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to Africa, I'm going to Ghana, I'm going to this place. They dance every day, all day. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. They work like just like everyone else do. So I was able to spend some time with a master teacher, and I did learn um, a couple of new dance and a new rhythm, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I was very blessed, very blessed to partake in a rites of passage ceremony as an initiate. So I went through the rites of passage just like a young girl would go go through on the continent. It was 150 beautiful black young women from all parts of Ghana going through their rite of passage. It was just magnificent to see and be part of that. That was a five, um, a four and a half day ceremony, and it was just it was just spiritual and beautiful and cultural and very humbling to get my rite of passage on the continent of Africa and to be able to um, understand the rituals and answer questions, well, I'm able to bring that back to the young women here in um, Las Vegas and America because I read my Facebook page, my inbox, people are like, well, when you're doing the rites of passage, let me know. I want to partake in it. And I'm committed, I'm very committed into giving older women their right. They're not necessarily going to go through it the way the young girls will, but I will set up a certain portion where if a sister like yourself want to come and receive her ceremony and get her right, we're going to be able to do that for you. And you know I'm coming, too. Absolutely. I know. I'm coming. I know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What? I know you're planning on your next uh, excursion. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you're planning? Um, based off of your first experience? Well, I know I'm not going to pack as much clothing-wise for me because it's just too because I traveled um, 85% of the continent, lugging suitcases was very um, frustrating. Audrey, so, yeah. Mm-hmm, so I'm going to pack less for me and more for the people so I can give away. That's um, thank, All I can say is thank God for granola bar and baby wipes because when I was out, Exploring, um, you mm-hmm. don't always come across. You don't always come across a toilet, and you don't always come across food that you would necessarily eat. So I'm very <laughs> grateful. I'm very grateful for granola bars and baby wipes. So um, right. I am. I am planning on going back next year, and I'm planning to take a group of people with me who would like to go because we have um, the slave um, dungeon that we're going to visit. We're going to visit the last bath. We're going to go uh, and partake in some ceremonies and rituals because I was blessed to make those contacts with priests and priestesses over there who are very much keeping our tribal rituals um, alive and well. Really? Now, what yeah. was it like going through the slave dungeons and just that final corridor before you, our ancestors were shipped off? 
Oh my goodness. It was it was very emotional, very spiritual. It took me about four or five days to really process that because I visited mm-hmm. they they have the Elmina Castle, they have the Cape Coast Castle, and then you have the last bath. Those are three various different points on the coast of Ghana. So you have to go to those various points at different times. So you have to go. You have to go to one place, process it for like two days. Go to another place and process that. You can't just go and visit, like especially for us. That is our lineage, where we come from. We're coming back to see that. So therefore, it's very uh, emotional. Emotional. I have to to go teach my African dance class now. I hear someone calling me. I am very grateful. Um, Please have Rodney call me back so we can finish our discussion. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll do. Thank have you. a great class. All right, you too, Ashe, um, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, not a problem. We love hearing about your journey home. Okay. Thank you so much, Ms. Hudson. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, thanks. Bye bye. Hello. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it firsthand right here on Our Own Voices. I'm Angela Thomas. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. And that was the fantastic Miss China Hudson, who is back from her trip to Africa, Ghana, and um, giving us a firsthand account of what that experience has been like and what it meant to her. Can't wait to continue the discussions. How fortunate are we uh, that we live in a community that would pick an individual from the community that, um, honestly, China. I can't think of one individual that most exemplifies um, African culture and celebrated and uh, uplift. Um, you know, just on a daily, rejoice in. Um, our culture, so it only made sense that she would have the opportunity to go to Africa and have that experience so that she could come back and reach more and teach more here in the community. I have, uh, Rodney, are you, you out there? I am here. I am on the road heading to UNLV, but I did call back into the show. I heard the tail end of the conversation with Sister China on her fascinating adventure back to the motherland. Yeah. She had to uh, leave to teach her class, but she wants wants to call back in and continue the the, uh, discussion. at a, at another time, maybe next week, we'll have to call her later this week and, and set things up. How fascinating! Everything about it fascinating, and she wants to take a group of folks back with her. So that's exciting. Next year, it is very exciting just to hear her talk about it. Because so many people, when we talk about Africa, we've never been there, but to actually have the experience of being back to the motherland, the mother continent of all continents. Because let's remember that from a a geological perspective, during Pangaea, it was the other continent that broke off and separated and drifted from Mother Africa, as Mother Africa stayed pretty much in the same spot. It's one of the few continents, actually maybe the only continent, that doesn't really experience earthquakes or not nearly at the frequency of all of the rest. 
and that really is due to the shifting of the tectonic plates that the continents uh, sit on. So, yeah, it's a wonderful story that Sister China has, and I hope that she'll be able to share more of those with our listeners and, of course, more of those with us uh, on a one-on-one basis. Absolutely, and as you know, someone who's seen her in the community beforehand and after her trip, there is a new light, a little more pep in her step since she's been home. And, I, I, you know, we were excited to hear that she was going, and we're excited that she had a victorious journey. That's super exciting. So I can't wait to continue the dialogue and hear more about her adventures. Sounds like the making well, of a and, great travel show. And and we will, and uh, I I look forward to that too. You know, we wanted to talk uh, about Sister China's trip to the motherland, and we'll probably have continued dialogues of that. Uh, for those of you who may have heard us, if you have any reflection on the conversation, give Angela a call at area code 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. Would love to hear what you think about China's trip. Uh, maybe you're interested in going on a trip to Africa yourself, or some of you have been already. If you would like to share your experiences, we would love to hear you. Uh, one of the folks locally that has made many trips to Africa is Mrs. Tolan. Yes, Mrs. That's Tolan. True. Some people, uh, and, and me included, call her Mother Tolan. She has been to Africa, I believe, over 13 times. I don't remember the exact number, but it's over 13 times. And she has brought back all types of artwork and other And uh, information, items. yeah. Her whole house is open um, to visitors to come and experience and, and uh, hear her stories. Uh, even if you don't enter her abode, she has... Um, a sculptural garden in her on her grounds at her property, and it, it that alone is worth the the drive over and the conversation. Bring some some uh, good mango juice, and she is just a wonderful source here in the community to um, get information about going to Africa or her experience in Africa, even if you're not going, she's so happy to share her information with anyone. You know, Angela, this morning I had a discussion with uh, Sister Sandra from another Facebook post uh, group that I belong to, and uh, she's actually she actually lives in Brooklyn, New York, and she has been introduced or is about to be introduced to a gentleman in New York, and there was a story written on him, and it was called The Collector. And the reason why it was called The Collector is because his entire home is full of various African artifacts, things wow. that he brought back, he's had commissioned. I mean, when I say full, it kind of reminds me of Sam Smith uh, with his collection of books. This gentleman yeah. has all types of artworks, and he has the story on how he uh, got the artwork. Acquired so really fascinating. Wow. Yes, yes, and he's called The Collector. Uh, if you guys can do a search, that I believe his name is Edwards, but I, I don't recall his, his entire name right now. But he goes, or he's been sort of tagged as The Collector. What 
I mean, just to be able to touch some of those things as going over to Miss Fullen's house to be able to touch those and hear her stories. And what it did, actually, Angela, from just hearing uh, Sister Sandra talk about that was it brought us closer together and it gave us something in common. You know, mm-hmm. all too often, all too often, we focus on our differences and not the things that we have in common. That we do and have we in common, accomplish yeah. So much more. We would feel so much better about one another if we did focus on those things that we have in common. And it just so happens that she is uh, going to help uh, uh, this gentleman with his collection because he wants to. He wants it to be a legacy. He wants to leave it to someone. And Sister Nicole had posed a question or made a comment about in the past. There's been plenty of people who've collected, but some people might see it as hoarding. And when they're no longer with us, it actually gets trashed. And uh, one of the things that she had uh, mentioned to Sister Sandra with this, the collector was to make sure that he had stuff in writing and some estate planning on how to transition his collection, his collection uh, yeah. into That's that legacy advice. that he hoped. And it made me think about Mrs. Tolan and made me wonder, has she done the paperwork or has anyone helped her to ensure that her legacy continues after she is physically no longer with us? And that's something that if there's someone in the sound of my voice who knows Mrs. Tolan, that would be something worthy to help her out with. Absolutely, especially if you have the the skill set and the the opportunity uh, to go help her, that, that would be a worthy a worthy um, job to get done. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's actually a must-do, and really is something that all of us should do in our own personal lives is to make sure that our estate planning is done so the things that we worked hard for and we've collected over the years and we'd like to pass down to our children, our children's children, you have to do that estate planning. And believe it or not, it doesn't cost as much as you might think uh, to do it. Uh, save a couple of weekends to the club or buy half the drinks when you go to the club for a few months and you have enough money to set up a legacy for your descendants and they will be much more appreciative of you for doing it. It'll save on a lot of heartache and heartbreak once you're no longer with us. Absolutely. Better to be proactive than reactive. That's right. And Angela, speaking of heartbreak, we lost another great, and I kind of coined one of your phrases, B.B. Uh, King, B.B. The King. The King. Uh, has transitioned from this life into the afterlife. And I wanted to take time on the show, and hopefully you'll be able to do it after I'm gone off, to reflect on B.B. King, what he meant to you, and what memories you have of him. We were talking at the gathering yesterday, and and some of the folks were talking about the different food events, uh, personal and away from home, that came to mind when they thought of B.B. King. And, you know, B.B. King, for me as a Chicagoan, blues and gospel are as thick and real in that environment as the air itself. I can't even, it's so intrinsic to my environment, I can't even tell you the first time I heard a B.B. King record. I probably heard it in utero. It was that much a part of my community, that much a part of my family life. 
it just was, you know what I mean? Like rhythm, like air, like uh, a heartbeat. And I honestly can't remember a time where the blues wasn't honestly a daily part of my life. Uh, When I was coming up, I was sharing, uh, when I got the news of B.B. passing, um, I was talking with my kids over breakfast, and they were like, wow, B.B. King died. But I was like mourning like a relative, a close relative had died to me. I liken it to when I lost both of my grandparents, a sadness, an overwhelming sadness just came over me with his passing because he was the soundtrack to my experience with my elders. Um, When you put on BV, you, you know, I just, I can, with each note, I can smell the smells of my, um, of my city, of my household, of my family life. I, I can hear my grandmother in the kitchen frying the chicken and making the cornbread. I can hear my grandfather, who was a mechanic, form a railroad. He retired from the the railroad and opened up his own uh, automotive uh, mechanic business. I can hear him rustling the tools in his in his uh, toolkit and um, checking out his his compressor. These were sounds that were going on in my environment uh, as I listened to B.B. King. I, um, my mom being, you know, not just at my grandparents' house, but being home with my with my mother, um, listening to WVON, a historic black radio station that is still in existence, uh, owned by Purvis Fan, the blues man, who is a towering blues figure in the blues community, but also a towering figure in Chicago's radio history. I still hear those voices. That's the uh, radio station that Don Cornelius came from. Um, so many others, Luminaries, Jack the Rapper, a lot of great, great, uh, legendary radio personalities had the opportunity to DJ for WVON. But that was the 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 community's radio station. That was the only black radio station we had. And not only would I hear James Brown, which, you know, that was his time. That was He was the contemporary. But, you know, right behind a James Brown record, I would hear B.B. King. And right behind that, I would hear Bobby Blue Bland. And, and Buddy Guy was down the street. My mom, um, blues is so prevalent in my life. My mom was raised in what was called Jewtown. Uh, a lot of people probably saw in the Chess Records uh, the community that is that that is the legendary um, community known as Jewtown. Um, any given day, day any given day, time or day, she had blue what are now blues legends, members of the rock and roll and blues hall of fame playing right there on her street corner. This was at this was seriously everyday life for us in Chicago uh, to have the blues there and and to incubate that. Um, Style of music and watch it grow and 
flourish and spread out throughout the uh, the country. Folks coming up, that great migration, folks coming up from the South and uh, landing in Chicago and working in the stockyards. And, you know, that was really r- real. And, I, you know, I was born in the 60s, but it was still very present in the 70s and the 80s uh, during my childhood. Uh, you you listened to Dee Dee and Bobby Blue Bland then before you turned that off to watch Soul Train. It, it was just a part of the fabric of the community. You, you, you just really don't remember a time. I don't remember a time where I didn't hear B.B. the King all I mean, all the time. He was my grandfather's favorite, probably only recording artist. He liked a lot of blues singers. Not a lot, but a select few. Him and Bobby Blue Bland, I, I remember, they were the main two. They were staples that he always played in the house. So uh, when I got up some age, my city is a city of of uh, festivals. So we have the blues. We have Chicago. We have the uh, food fest that we do. and uh, But we have the blues fest. We have the gospel fest. We have uh, country music. We, have, we now have Lollapalooza which is uh, taking up residency, but the Blues Fest. I'll never forget uh, one of the inaugural years of the Blues Fest. Well, it started at Navy Pier and then kind of went to um, Petrillo Bandshell, where on the on one stage it was B.B. the King, Bobby Blue Bland, Buddy Guy, Mel Torme. Uh, I, it was at least ten legends. 10 to 12 legends up on stage. And that was my first time seeing Bobby, seeing B.B. the King live and Bobby Blue Bland live. And I, I just will never forget it. I've seen him. He's probably, B.B. the King is probably the most, the artist that I've seen live the most in, in my life. Uh, where I, you know, I pay money. I, I love the blues. I, you know, you hear me most talk about hip-hop, but B.B. the King was such a pro, a towering figure. There's few individuals in American music that has affected every genre, from country, hip-hop, gospel. Every genre has been influenced and affected by B.B. the King. Very rare. It's a very rare um, experience for an artist. He's one of those artists that you ju- that you just hear on the first note, and you know who he is, who it is. Oh, that's Phoebe. I was uh, riding last night, listening to uh, some of his music, some of his more contemporary uh, music, and um, my mom was with me, and we were just popping our fingers and having a good time. Uh, um, Might have made you move too soon was the song we were listening to, but just reminiscing on how much fun we had uh, in our lives with um, the music and creativity and the genius of B.B. the King. You know, Angela, as you uh, as you speak about B.B. King, uh, he said people think that you only sing about the blues when you have the blues, and he says. The blues made him happy. 
Yeah. Singing the blues made him happy. So it for those who haven't really experienced the blues, don't let the name fool you. Experience the blues. It may be a little bit more to it than what you think. Absolutely. Uh, I did post a, a video of D.B. the King talking about his life in his own words. This is the older video. It's back in the 70s. I'll try to get it posted up on uh, the Our Own Voices uh, page. It's on my uh, personal page and Our Own Voices page now. But uh, if you get a chance, take a take a view of that uh, because you get to hear the legend speaking his story. And nobody can tell their story like the individual themselves. So get a chance to listen to B.B. in his own words. And then, Andrew, you were talking about Chicago, and we a lot of times we think about the blues. We think about some places down south. Well, B.B. King settled, of all places, right here right in here, our Vegas. current city, Las Vegas. Uh, even the, performed at the House of Blues here in Las Vegas. Quite a bit. And, you know, I was listening to uh, Never Make You Move Too Soon, and I never caught before last night, that he was actually talking about his life in Las Vegas. Stacked it up to about 50 grand, cashed it in and held it in my hand. That kind of dough will make a lost love come unfound. He he talked. He was talking, the lyrics were talking about him uh, residing in Las Vegas. He even mentions Las Vegas, and he even mentions, you know, his, his having fun at one of our fine ga- uh, gambling establishments. And, you know, just knowing that he was here, I had a chance to meet one of his daughters, and she shared some things about life with a legend. And I always, you know, we think about the legend themselves, but what about the children of the legend? And what's it like to to be in the household where your your parent is such a known uh, commodity? A figure, yeah. I bet, you know... I, you know, I bet it's not as easy as a lot of people would like to think that it is. Uh, you know, always sharing your your loved one with the public is never easy. Well, never easy. And then, of course, I'm sure the life of a legend, uh, in this case himself, is not always easy because then people have these. Uh, preconceived notions of how you should be, what you should be. And oftentimes what they may think isn't what actually is. So sometimes living up to your own legend can be difficult. Can but be a challenge. King, I, I was looking at pictures of him, and one of the things I remember of B.B. King from even being a young child was how happy he was. All <laughs> he used the time. To, it was somewhat of a paradox because I used to think, now here's this man singing the blues. But he's always jovial. He's always Each note looked like it was painful. It was joy and pain in each note because he kind of scrunches his face up, and you know, it's just you. You could see having a good time, but some of the faces, you're like, hmm, that looked like he really struggled to get that one out. Yeah. And it actually reminds me of another legendary singer and group. And when I think of. the, the the faces that he would make. It just uh-huh. for some reason reminds me of Frankie Beverly uh when when he's performing sometimes. But you know, sure. I used to say that those real musicians, it wasn't just lyrics. They were into the music. Absolutely they were in 
love to share more about the King with you. But I am at UNLV Thomas and Mack Center, and uh, I am going to meet up with my goddaughter. I remember when she was, well, just still in the oven, and now here <laughs> it is, college grad. Oh, and by the way, she is also uh, married. She's a newlywed. Uh, she's had some job as uh, uh, possibilities headed her way. I am so very proud of her to see her fight the odds and beat the odds. And Angela, she graduated in, or she is graduating in three and a half years. Amen to that. Uh, <laughs> Always yes, good to yes. finish early. That's a beautiful thing. And congratulations to you and your young graduate. You know, it's really a family that helps a young person get through uh, college. So it's an achievement, uh, not just for that young person that's turning the tassel, but the entire family. Uh, yes, her father served in the military. As a matter of fact, we served on stations together. And sometimes he would have to be away. So when he was away on those parent-teacher conferences, I had the honor, and I do do mean that word in the truest sense, I had the honor to, to stand in for him and to go to those parent-teacher uh, conferences uh, with her for him. And those are some of my fondest memories, and I did take it as, I guess as they would say in Europe, a high honor to have an opportunity to do so. So today to come to her graduation is really the fulfillment of the vision. Mom and Dad are super proud. Uh, he, This is Military Appreciation Month, so he gets the chance to, uh, they get the chance to have both of these celebrations at the same time. He's very proud of her dad, very, very proud. proud of her. So, Angela, on that note, I'm about to go in the buildings before I lose connection. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Our Own Voices Live, where we talked about B.B. is Angela say Doug King, B.B. King, and also uh, we shared with Sister China Hudson's trip back to Africa. Take it away, Angela. All right. Well, as Rodney so eloquently said you're listening to our own voices and i'm angela thomas and uh if you'd like to call in and reminisce with me about bb the king uh you can do so at 347-826-9600 um you know as i was saying about bb uh the king i don't remember a time in my life without him and his music, <clears throat> really, uh, as a Chicagoan, you listen to gospel and blues all the time. So, um, he, you know, he and, and other blues greats like Buddy Guy and um, Bobby Blue Bland and, you know, so many others are kind of in um, regular rotation with me as I roll through the city get through these sun rays out here in Las Vegas now that I'm a Las Vegan. Um, but it was nothing to hop the train and um, see many upstarts, uh, musicians, such as R. Kelly. I, I remember riding the, the train oh, system and experiencing uh, young R. Kelly in, in the train system uh 
practicing his greatness. So um, music is kind of a part of the regular heartbeat and so much a part of the landscape of Chicago. We have it pouring out of almost every nook and cranny in the city, whether you're passing by um, a neighbor's house. They're usually, you know, there's a lot of neighbors blasting music, gospel, hip-hop, a lot of different um, genres, rock alternative. We're a big rock alternative city as well. Um, Jazz. Go have a hot dog at um, the hot dog stand, and you're looking at tons of memorabilia from uh, the great rock ensemble Chicago all over the place. So, uh, you know, music is really a part of the heart and soul and the heartbeat of uh, of Chicago and had the opportunity to, to uh, our city had the opportunity to host B.B. the King many, many, many times and um, collaborated with a lot of his friends on some of our greatest stages. Um, as I stated before, my I think my favorite performance is my first performance of uh, B.B. the King where he was at the Chicago Blues Fest. I, you know, I, I got to look up the year. I think that was like sometime in the um, 80s, early 80s where he and so many others, we were just establishing um, the Chicago Blues Fest, and he was the first one, of you know, and he brought a lot of friends out. And, you know, we have a lot of uh, blues, bra- blues bars up and running in Chicago, so he didn't have to beckon, beckon, their, beckon his friends from afar. So, you know, it was always... Fun on a Saturday night in Chicago to go over to Buddy Guys. You know, anytime um, folks like Prince or anybody are touring and they stop in Chicago, they definitely, uh, Prince himself always stops at Buddy Guys and plays a early session as well as a uh, 3 o'clock in the morning session. And, you know, it's kind of legendary. Sometimes those can last until... They put them out. So um, I digress from B.B. the King discuss our B.B. the King discussion, but um, so much influence. I think Lenny Kravitz tweeted yesterday that he um, put more into one note, and I'm paraphrasing. He put more into one note than some artists can express in hundreds of notes or something to that effect. I thought that was one of the um, most prolific uh, outpourings from uh, different artists as they respond and react to the loss of the uh, legend, Mr. B.B. King. It's been so interesting living here in Las Vegas uh, when... Certain pop things happen. It just ends up being um, somehow, you know, Vegas is involved less. You know, well, I digress. Um, Love the man, love the music, love the uh, gift that he discovered 
quite by chance, from what I understand, his uncle gave him his first guitar, and he never looked back. Went from the tobacco and cotton fields down in Mississippi to the to the to the world, really. So, um, we just remember and celebrate the great BB King. What a loss! What what a real loss! Um, music is having, but really, what a great ambassador. The world had in in BB King, uh, as he did over 300 dates up until two, uh, as recent as 2013. I saw, um, I guess, what would be one of his last performances uh, as he stopped touring in April officially. But um, over 300 dates a year for a man who up who represented a genre of music that is not you know in favor with the young people you know they like to tell you everything revolves around the youth but um he never what I what I've always appreciated about BB the King is that he never wavered from his what he did and he took it and made it make sense in every decade. Um, as I was sharing earlier, I was listening to him uh, do Never Make You Move Too Soon. And that was the 80s. I was, like, astounded that that song could be out right, na- right now and it would still be a hit. And just to... Um, Look at the architecture of the song. It was just really um, ever-present, I guess I could say, uh, with B.B. B. King and uh, his work. But I was all, you know, I, it was, uh, I put it on, I put my device on um, shuffle. And so I heard, you know, stuff from... His early career, 50s, uh, late 1950s, when he, you know, first started to receive some success from his uh, musical endeavors. And those songs still made you want to dance. I could see why my grandparents were so happy and jovial. Uh, It was like the brown lick of vapors just kind of leap up off of that music, leap up off of each note, and you're suddenly transported into your grandmother's uh, or your family's abode. Uh, for me, it, I when I listen to the blues, really listen to the blues, I'm always thinking about my grandparents, always remembering my grandparents, because that was something that they never wavered from. They always listened to the blues when they were um, having family functions or just having a few friends over on a Saturday night to play cards and um, press hair. (laughs) Uh, It was always the blues playing. So um, it was just interesting to me that 
from the music uh, that shuffled uh, through my um, device, it each song had equal joy. And towards the 70s, you know, blues had kind of fell out of favor, late 60s, 70s, it fell out of favor, and kids were, you know, really... Um, moving towards rock, and to think that he experienced in that time period being booed off stages because, you know, the young people were viewing the blues as their mother's music, their their uh, elders' music, so they really didn't want to experience B.B. and his talents initially. But each time he would get out there, play the blues, and shut them down. Before he left the stage, they were, you know, cheering him on and, you know, really appreciating what he was doing. So, you know, I celebrate him and his legacy and his body of music. I will continue, as I, you know, already was, listening to B.B. the King and, and others and uh, reminiscing on loved ones that are still here and those that have gone on to their glory, like B.B. Uh, the King. Um, it's just emotional. It's just a really emotional thing. My kids are asking me, well, you know, Mom, you really taking this really hard. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like experiencing uh, my grandparents' death again because so much of their memory for me is wrapped up in that music and uh, our our activities um, as a family always involved music. Our activities as a community in Chicago totally wrapped around a soundtrack. So um, the sadness they heard was real and very present and only because... Um, They've been so good to me, so it's not a a sadness of oh God, you know, and they're no longer with us. Is thank it's more of a thank God they were here with us, and thank God that we have uh, so much of BB's legacy to help us not just uplift him and his family in this uh, great time of need and um, during this sad period, but we also have um, the music that B.B. King leaves behind in memory of our own folks that are no longer with us, or like I said, that are still with us, but, you know, we just have had these great family experiences with them. So uh, you know, I was listening to some old interviews yesterday of B.B. the King and you know, uh, Charlie Rose was the interviewer and he was asking B.B. some pretty reflective questions. He, you know, he asked him, what would you, you know, if you were going to go 
<laughs> how would you like to go? And he, he was saying, I either want to go on stage or I want to go quietly in my sleep. And he, you know, God granted him that. I think it's because he blessed us all with so much joy and hope with each and every uh, note, every song he sang. He really sang it from the depths of his spirit and gave it as a gift to all of us um, who were within his uh, reach. And for him to, you know, now looking at the interviews, be so prophetic about uh, his mortality and how he wanted to be remembered and how he would even like to like like to be taken home by the Lord um, was pretty interesting to watch and to see that he got his wish he he got he got things the way that he wanted to uh experience them so with that. I'm going to bring the show to a close. Uh, we're going to we we have a sort of abbreviated show today, and um, I will myself and Rodney will see you guys next Saturday, right here at Our Own Voices Live. I want to thank you for taking time out uh, with me and and Rodney and China to hear about Miss China's travels to Africa, as well as to celebrate and memorialize. The great BB the King, as I call him. <laughs> Have a great Saturday, and we'll see you back here next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.